0: It's no question that's, that's been a rivalry. So having experienced that rivalry on both sides, do you feel that's influenced how you perceive that rivalry a little bit?
1: No, because um, I knew about the rivalry. I'm born and bred from Newcastle. I started supporting Newcastle from the age of eight, from the terraces of the stadium. I was lucky enough to make me debut as a player there at 17. And, um, you know, so I spent a lot of time there. I mean, one of my reasons for going to the rival Sunderland was one, because they had a manager who I respected a lot, Peter Reed, ex-England International, but also was uh, the, the logistics. It was local for my, my family. Me and my wife had just had a, our first child and uh, we didn't really want to move away from the area, so... Also, what came into it was Sunderland were competing in the championship at the time. Newcastle were in the Premier League, so there wasn't going to be the, uh, the added problem of uh, Sunderland playing Newcastle, so I was never in that position. Um, so, ended up having two successful years. Really enjoyed it. Great club. i just moved into a new stadium. Uh, met some great people, both on the field and off the field, and uh, had two great years there, but it didn't need any help and understanding of the rivalry between the two clubs.
0: Got it. Understood. Well, well, thank you for your insight. And, you know, you played in, in a certain era. And since then, obviously there've been multiple seasons since then. And just looking at the game, you know, I watched some of your highlights scored some great goals, by the way, (laughs) but there have been, I mean, even visual things we can see the ball has evolved. The kit has evolved. Do you feel maybe ta- tactically, my apologies, the league has evolved or changed since you played? Um, yeah, I think because
1: of, um, especially in the UK, with the young English players, uh, the academy system um, is is developing more um, tactically aware, tactically astute players from such a younger age. I watch some of the youngsters playing football now and, the, the the tactical awareness they have of the game from, from such a young age um, is, is, is really high. So I think there's a lot more tactics come into it. There's a lot more different types of formations, managers and head coaches using uh, different formations to try and um, outfox their opponent. Uh, obviously, I think as time goes on with all the sports science and medical side of the game as well, you do get a an upturn in, in that. But I still obviously all the eras are different. We still had very fit players. We still had um players who could play at a high level and I've got no doubt the players that I played with for myself with today's modern technology um could easily play in, in, in the Premier League in today's game and would be even better versions of the players we were then.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. So you know, I, I think it's important you mention that there definitely are some, some advancements that have been made and, and you do think that those have or those would have been beneficial to you as a player had they existed when you played?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I was quite lucky. I was one of those players that was part of what's called the old school and, and, and the new school. So the old era, new era. So I was part of, um, you know, the, the, the tough era growing up as a youngster. And then towards the middle and end of my career, I was part of the development of the sports science side and fitness and nutrition. So I got a glimpse of what it was like, and uh, you know, it was a it was a great help to me. Um, some some best years I've I've wasn't the fittest I've ever felt. Um, so yeah, I see the benefit of that. But I think there's a there's in the years that we bring both together both uh, some of the old ERA and some of the new ERA and combine both and, and, and get the complete package.
0: Wonderful. And, and I think you're in a, a strong position to do that considering you're a manager now. Um, and and that, that's what I really want to get to today. And I think one of the biggest things to mention before we discuss your current managerial career is how did you transition from being a player to a manager? Was it a difficult transition? And what encouraged that decision to to go into managing?
1: No, because I was planning from an early age to go into coaching and management. Um, I took my first coaching badges when I was only 19 and progressed that. So I I completed all my coaching badges before my actual playing career had finished. I wasn't the player who stopped playing and thought, oh, I've got a decision to make. Because obviously being a footballer, you finish quite early in your life. So this was something in my mind, I always wanted to become the manager, the man who made the big decisions and I knew there was a stage in a process to get to that. So I went on to the coaching staff at Newcastle, became an assistant manager at Norwich City and then obviously had some managerial jobs in the UK and in Scotland and then obviously worked in Africa and I'm now in the the Gulf. So um, I've had a lot of experience, I've had some real positive ones, I've had some negative ones and but even the negative ones and the positive ones, you learn from those experiences and you try to bring little parts of, of, of what you've learned t- together
0: into your next position. Awesome. And is there anybody in particular who you credit as a mentor to you early in your career who you were able to learn from and and get you comfortable in managing?
1: No, oh, listen, I've, I think, I don't know if I've been quite lucky in my career, but Every manager I've played for, I've had great relationships with and they've always I've always had positives from them and, you know, try to combine a lot of those positives I've taken from different managers, whether it be in their man management, in their coaching, in those types of sessions they put on, um, how they got to the group together, um, all these different things have um, it, been important. I've met some great managers and coaches um, while I've become a manager and coach myself, uh, away from my playing side. And, and, and what, what I've realized is when I was especially a younger coach when I first started, a lot of the senior coaches who were very successful in the UK are more than happy to give up that time to try and help you and give you advice, so being really lucky in that department.
0: And as a player, are there some things that, you perhaps didn't understand that your managers had done, that as a manager you can see why they did those things now?
1: Without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And it's even a massive difference from being assistant manager to being the actual manager. Until you're really in the hot seat, uh, you don't experience, you don't understand, you're, you're making a decision, which um, basically um, you know, affects everybody, affects everybody inside the club. From owners and presidents and to, to administration team, board of directors, and obviously the most important people at any football club are the supporters. And if you don't get it right and you lose a game, it affects them and it affects them for a while till the next game. So you know that you've got a huge responsibility and you, you, you try and deliver the results for those people. And, uh, you know, that's that's a lot of pressure, but it's something that you try and thrive on. And, and, and there's not, no better feeling when you're
0: all successful at that got it and obviously success is, is a great thing that obviously you want to achieve but oftentimes we'll see managers are, are sacked and they can't get done what they promise to accomplish is there something in particular that you feel most managers who lose their jobs do consistently or is it something that that happens without a main reason
1: well, I think what's happening, um, especially around the world now, is you're not getting a lot of time to implement your own ideas. And when you think there's transfer windows in place, it's not as if you can go and bring your own type of players in. Sometimes you have to work with another head coach or manager's acquisitions and um, player and squad, and you, you don't get a lot of time. I mean, you know, some of the statistics are shown managers are only into the... Into the months now, in terms of the duration of the time they get if they don't become successful, and that that's difficult. If you're wanting to implement something different, you know you do need a bit of time on the training pitch, and uh, the pressures there from day one. Because if even if you go into a new club and you don't hit the ground running, the, the pressure becomes on top straight away, and it it is difficult. You just, I think initially, if you go into a club mid season, you've just got to try and find a way with that group of players. To get some positive results, to try and buy yourself a bit of time. So then you can implement your ways and, and, and philosophies uh, further down the line.
0: Understood. And, you know, when I was researching you, one thing that I came across was that final day with, with Birmingham, where you guys managed to stay in the championship. And that was an incredible game. But I, what, I, I, what I really want to know is at halftime, what was the message to? to the players because here in America, that's that's a common saying. Almost any commentator is going to say when the game momentum shifts, it's what did the coach say? (laughs) So that's what I'd really like to hear from you is, is what was the message to your players during that game?
1: I had total belief in them. I had total belief in them in the game. I had total belief in them at half time. I had total belief, believe it or not, when we went two nil down, Um, we were playing well. Uh, We were creating chances. We'd made two errors, which resulted in goals. I knew the team were fighting. I knew the team were fighting for the club, for the supporters, for me and the staff and themselves. And I had total belief that we could get the results. Now, the one thing I couldn't affect, or players couldn't affect, was what was going on elsewhere in the league for the other results to go in our favour. All we had to do and all we could concentrate on was getting our result right, and, and thankfully we'd done it.
0: Got it. And, you know, that was your experience in Birmingham. And then if I'm not mistaken, you went to Scotland as well, correct?
1: Yeah, worked in the Scottish Premier League with Kilmarnock and it was quite the opposite. I went into a club that was at the bottom of the table. We had to survive a, a playoff to stay in the league and then I rebuilt the squad, um, you know, on, on a small budget and then moved the team up the, up the table. And, uh, you know... Um, you know, had a terrific year. They really enjoyed me time before I got headhunted to go back down to England. But uh, yeah, the real, the real great club, Kilmarnock, great people, and uh, yeah, we, we, uh, the job I was brought in to do about keeping the club in the league, we've done that, and we turned, we we changed the uh, mentality around in, in in the in the playing side of it, and we wanted to try and make success from it,
0: and. When you define success as a manager, what do, you, what do you feel you have to do to say that you've done your job successfully? What do you define as success and feeling that you've done what you try to do?
1: Well, it, it all depends. There's different varying types of success. So uh, Kilmarnik was a club when I took over. That was, as I said, bottom of the table, fighting to stay in the league. So the, the, the short-term goal was to stay in the league. After that, I wanted to try and build a club uh, that had more of an identity and could be competing at the higher part of the division, which we'd done. For example, at Birmingham, we had huge financial problems not long after I took over, um, which then you know, didn't allow us in, to, to, to be involved in the transfer market in terms of recruitment uh, it, it, at the higher end, but also made us lose our best players because we had to sell to survive so, you know, keeping that club in the championship during that era was was successful because you basically had to trim something like 70 to 75% from the wage bill and keep the club, club competitive in, a, in an ultimately very, very competitive division in the English championship.
0: And following your experiences in England and Scotland, what attracted you to managing overseas? I know that you managed in Africa and now you're currently in Oman. And I'm just curious what motivated you to, to coach overseas.
1: I always wanted to do it. I love football. Um, I got the chance to go to Sudan Al-Marik, it's one of the biggest clubs in Africa. The support is phenomenal. They love that football there. I had the chance to compete in the African Champions League there as well. Uh, enjoyed it. Real three three great months. Obviously, became a bit of an issue between myself and the president over certain aspects, which then made us forced us to leave after guiding the team to the top of the table, and uh, which was a shame. And then, obviously, I found a new challenge out here in man, which is dealing with new cultures, dealing with new uh, types of personalities and people. But I, I'm really enjoying it, you know, and it, it's, it gives you another outlook on, on your coaching methods and uh, how you go about your business.
0: I'm glad to hear that, and you referenced how you're experiencing new cultures so is there a difference in middle eastern football compared to english football perhaps tactically i know earlier we mentioned how the english game may have evolved over time and you know there are certain leagues in europe even which differ greatly in in the playing style that's characteristic of the league Uh, so i'm just curious if middle eastern football is different from english football and how it's played
1: well, obviously, it's, it, coaches are still the same. They're, they're still experimenting, and they still try and use the different types of formations. Obviously, you want to bring your own ideas in. You've got, you've got uh, experiences from, you know, couple of the big, biggest and best leagues in the world: the English Premier League, Scottish Premier League, English Championship. And you want to try and bring those ideas and methods to, to here what's been really good for me is that the, the, the players have been really receptive. They've been really respectful and they're desperate to learn. And uh, every day they come and train and they, they give everything on the training pitch. And the one who impress me as the head coach and listen to everything that I'm giving them in terms of advice. So that, that's that's all you can ask as a coach that the players try and respond. Sometimes it, it might work, um, you know, but if they're trying their best to do what you're asking of them, um, you can't ask any more.
0: That's great. And, you know, I like I mentioned, the. Uh, I was actually going to follow up by asking you what traits you look for in a player, but you pretty much answered that all by yourself. So glad to hear that. And obviously you wish for the best that your team can produce, but obviously in recent months, we've seen that COVID has challenged leagues and in, in being able to succeed and being able to regularly have the same squad so what challenges has covid presented to you as as you attempt to manage in a pandemic
1: yeah there's been various different issues you know when i managed in the african champions league for example covid tests before you fly into the countries that you played covid tests and then three or four days before the game I did actually have an instance where i lost nine of me starting 11 before one of the champions league games which was a strange call because when we got them tested the next day, they weren't positive. So, you know, you can read into that what you may. So uh, it was just strange that nine of my strongest players were missing from the game. Um, But these are all things that you've got to take in your stride and help you on your challenges.
0: So you had nine of the starting 11 not in for that match?
1: Yeah, I had to call up replacements, some who were carrying injuries, some who had had long-term injuries and hadn't had enough training, some untried youngsters. Um, so we had to try and give the best we could during that game.
0: That's incredible. I think the, the ability to adapt there is unparalleled because that's absolutely incredibly challenging. But that's that. And, and also, you know, I'm big into... Some of the lessons that you can take from the sport of football can be applied into life, um, and in particular, I think that leadership is is one that you'll know well from your time as a player and from your current role as a manager. Uh, are there any words of advice that you'd have to people who are looking to be better leaders and command respect out of people?
1: Yeah, listen. The world's changing. The the the, the you know youngsters are being brought up in a different way. You know, what made you work 20 years ago or 40 years ago is completely different to what the work now. You know, the, the world's a completely different place. You have to try and learn. Um, you have to try and teach. You've got to try and be a teacher as a leader. You have to try and show lead by example. And when people do make an error, make a mistake, point the error out, point the mistake out, point out the ramifications of that try and give them an opportunity but if someone keeps being repetitive in those mistakes then you know you have to show them that that's of be accepted but uh you know gone are the days really where it, it, you rule with an eye and fist I think it, it has to be more of a man management I think is there's a, a lot more one-to-one um communication when you're a leader of a big group and uh you, you deal with it in that way
0: Got it. well that's great insight thank you for sharing that and No, I I think it's important that you mention, you know, telling people the consequences of the decisions because I think that's a a great way to command leadership. And yeah, thank you for sharing that. Now, transitioning from your career, it's my understanding that your son Bobby is also involved in football? Yes, he's
1: just made a move from Newcastle United to Liverpool in July,
0: yes. Nice, so if you just tell me a little about a little bit about his career, maybe what some of his aspirations are and, and what he's, he's looking to to do in football.
1: Well, he's obviously had an eventful uh, short career so far. He's only 16 still. He's represented England at under-15 and under-16 level. He's caught the attention of some big clubs while he was representing Newcastle United and uh, moved to quite a substantial transfer fee in July from Newcastle to Liverpool joined one of the biggest clubs in the world, one with unbelievable history, one with a pedigree of winning the biggest trophies in club football in Europe, and have high standards and high demands. And that entails, obviously, a high standard of coaching, which you know uh, can only help Bobby in his development. He has to be prepared to listen and work hard. And there's a manager at that football club who has a pathway for young players, even though he's managing one of the biggest clubs in the world and he has a pressure on him to try and deliver trophies. He's never afraid of giving young players an opportunity if he feels like good enough. He's done that over many years and been really successful at it. So, you know, that, that was one of the big reasons I think Bobby chose to go to that club over the three or four possibilities he had. And, uh, you know, he's had a terrific first four or five months there, but he's on the bottom of a very, he's on the bottom rung of a very high ladder. Uh, if he wants to reach the top and, and play at the highest level of that football club, because as I said, the demands of that club and its support, as and because of the history that it's had and the players that have gone before him, means that it's it's, it's always um, the challenge at the top end of the English Premier League and the top end of the of the big European competitions.
0: Well, I wish him all the best, and with all the expectations, I hope that you know he just enjoys it and is able to achieve as much success as as he aspires to. And speaking of aspirations, what are some of your aspirations for the future? What do you, I mean, you don't need to have an an immediate goal, but I'm just curious if, if you have some plans for the future and and what you hope to achieve.
1: Just got to keep enjoying coaching, keep enjoying developing players, keep enjoying developing young players, giving them an opportunity to go and further their careers. That gives me a lot of pleasure. Um, when I say young players I've worked with before who've gone on and had really good and outstanding careers, gone on to bigger and better things in terms of the clubs they've played for, the level they've played at, even gone on to international prominence. So that gives me a lot of pleasure. I, I, I want to continue doing that and, you know, go for maybe in the future experience other um, parts of the world in terms of coaching and managing and just keep doing it. I love football. I love. I love the buzz. I love uh, being on the training pitch. So
0: yeah, to continue that. Wonderful. Well, it sounds like you have a great philosophy, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see you winning a few trophies. <laughs>